Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. And now, a word from our sponsor, Agora Pulse. We know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why we've teamed up with Agora Pulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash Irish Tech News to get one month free. Now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours. Hi, so today on Irish Tech News, uh, we have somebody who uh, I was just chatting with her to say that um, she'd been recommended by Sangeeta uh, Waldron and when you look at the person we're interviewing now, you'll understand why we wanted to interview her because she's very interesting and has her finger in a lot of very positive highs. So first of all, who do we have the pleasure of talking to today? Hello everybody. Hi Simon. I'm Dr. Jackie Taylor. I'm CEO and co-founder of Flying Binary and we're a web science with deep tech. Mm-hmm. Okay so therefore first up uh, if, if do, what do you mean by deep tech because deep tech <laughs> could mean many things. Okay good you get my where I'm going here. Yeah so yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so um, so we founded Flying Binary in 2009 because we saw the end of digital then and we we were building always for the connected fabric uh, across the world so a, a globalized world connected by tech not necessarily with the human in the loop um so it's it's everything it's the industry internet of things it's cloud it's edge it's ai it's quantum it's it's all that gang it's it's everything connected with that that's what we do mm-hmm. So look, I mean, uh, with AI, uh, we've just viewed a couple of books. There's a Wired one and another one by Cade Metz, uh, looking at AI and where we're at now. Uh, and obviously, you know, some people feel that, you know, uh, general AI is around the corner and you have the Ray Kurzweil singularity is coming. Uh, uh, where, where, where are you on that uh, horizon between uh, it's, a, it's a threat and it's an opportunity? Uh, it's definitely an opportunity, but I don't subscribe to the Industry 4.0 uh, view. Um, the robots will take over, and that's because I've got the global evidence to say that that's not true. Um, but for me, it's about uh, navigating that journey. So we need to negotiate that world in the industrial internet of things, where, whether it be AI or anything else that we have out there, because actually this changes our society. The key thing for me about this transition that you and I are talking about now is, for the first time ever, Technology is genuinely the enabler, not the outcome. It's not about shiny. It's not about new. It's actually changing the way our society works. So um, I'm very big on the AI safety piece of it. We've just um, started a new partnership with the UK's Information Commissioner to show how that can work. Uh, We specifically build our deep tech for Generation Z. 28 to 18 and Gen Alpha 17 to 7, although James would have me tell you that that he's five and he is, Um, but actually about what they need for technology to enable the world and to bring their talents to the world. So I'm very much of the optimistic piece of it because I believe this is a journey we not only need to navigate but orchestrate and actually 
decide what is that world we want to live in. And AI is just one component of that, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so that, that leads us into smart cities. And there's, there's a few elements to that. I mean, and I've been to Singapore and some places that are very cutting edge. Uh, you've been described as a smart city czar. So again, what's that? <laughs> well, in 2018, the whole smart city movement was in complete and utter meltdown. And I was running over the world and doing, I'm the co-founder of the data journalism industry. So our journalists are my friends as well as me being one. And, um, and I was getting requests from journalist colleagues all over the world going, help us understand what the heck is going on. And effectively, we were doing a reset around that original smart city agenda, which, which largely was orchestrated from the UK and some of the changes that we were making um, as we were navigating our digital journey. But in 2018 was where effectively the rock met the hard place because what that was really the setting in the smart cities landscape of wet technology genuinely was the outcome. So there was tech being sprinkled everywhere, no idea what outcomes it was meant to change, no idea um, what services were meant to be sort of reformed or enhanced or created. And, and essentially tech just being deployed because it was new and shiny was exactly where the world was in 2018. So I earned that Smart Cities R title by going around and navigating that new journey, leading me to speak in Davos in January 2019 to say, look, that world's over, it looks like this. And that's where I started my G20 gigs to, to articulate what that meant. So if we're gonna move to a technology enabled world, the industrial internet of things that create that fabric that I talked about in the beginning, what did that look like? And more to the point, for smart cities, which is where they, they're the future hubs of our business and our democracy, what that looked like. Um, I'm so I'm a, uh, um, I did that work in the G20 in February 2020, and I do some of that work in, in the UN and in the EU, but I'm also the smart cities advisor for the UK. Mm -hmm. Which uh, which is, is, is great because it means that you are both advocating because of what you've learned and then you're also in a good position to see what's happening so so like so, so we've done some stuff uh, with sally eves and dinish guada and smart cities has a lot of exciting potential uh and you know it could really help with energy efficiency and you know better optimization of resources uh then on the other side it can be used for a very uh aggressively controlling of the population so how, how do we ensure that smart cities delivers uh, value but doesn't become a way for totalitarian governments to suppress the population well i mean so i mean it's a really good question in some countries it'll be exactly that and you you know only the 75 percent of the world uh, that doesn't live in a democracy so for a start you know for those those countries and those populace then that's potentially their reality. But that isn't the reality that I work in and, and not the work I do. And, and the thing about it is the change that I delivered for the G20 plan in 2020 was around inclusion. And that's the mission that Flying Binary has. We say inclusion and for that, we're really clear about what that means, leave no one behind. But um, essentially the reset I did in 2020 was we had a Troika three-year plan to actually utilize that and deliver that inclusion using smart cities as a delivery model. Now, the reality of it is, the thing that I'll say to everywhere, if you ever see me on stage talking about smart cities, I always say this, the one thing they have in common is they're all different. So this is no sausage machine we have here. And in the G20, I, I have the data for all of this. So I'm not, this is not my theory. I, so I have the global data for all this. 
And, and essentially, by doing the global plan for G20, each nation has gone back and then articulated what nationally that means. The one I can talk about, because it's out in the public domain, um, the blueprint for it at least is, is the European Union. So essentially, that's 450 million citizens. And myself as a fire starter, expert advisor, is around looking at how to curate the outcomes, better health and well-being for those 450 million citizens. And ultimately, that's what it should do. And then, of course, it will do different things in other parts of the world that don't have the same, let's say, philosophies and um, orchestration uh, uh, sort of... Uh, I don't know what I would say, orchestration. And they will look at this in a different way because every city will be different. We have 95,000 of them in Europe that we're going to architect this change for. But the key thing we'll do first, 100 climate neutral cities. We have to show how sustainability is, is the driver for this, this new movement where technology is the, the enabler and not the outcome. That is the fundamental change we'll do in the next seven years in Europe. Yeah, look, I mean, and and I I think a lot of people are beginning to realise that the best way to have sustainable strategies for any particular area or city is to make it locally appropriate and relevant. So therefore, like you're saying, there isn't, there doesn't have to be a blueprint or a template for this because you know Singapore has different challenges to Tel Aviv, to Helsinki, to Dublin. So therefore, uh, the smart way to have smart cities is 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 very much, I'd say, to personalise. You have general templates of things that are good, but you work out what works for that city. So uh, that that would make sense to me. Um, with the year that we've had, or 15 months even now of mm -hmm. COVID pandemic and lockdown, uh, has has this nudged uh, any things forward at maybe a faster pace than you had imagined could happen in terms of IoT and smart cities and rolling things out? Well, you see, I controversially laid down a G20 plan in February 2020 saying this is a Troika plan. This is three years. Everybody out there was saying this is five, but I had the data to tell me it could be achieved earlier. And then within three months, we were executing because I had a set of conditions that, that would need to happen to make that sooner or later depending on what the characteristics of that were. And when I stood up at Davos in January 2019, what I said was the, the accelerator for all of this was anything that actually became the equivalent of a, because I talked about the future of the cybersecurity industry, the equivalent of a zero day exploit. And this, this isolation economy has been that. One billion additional people coming online practically within the same months has actually created the equivalent landscape of that. So it's accelerated everything. The three month plan, the three year plan I had became a three month plan. And within Europe, you know, we, we literally were executing on that uh, in April and in the UN in April, because actually we had the conditions for the change that we're talking about here. So it has accelerated everything. Um, and that actually has meant, interestingly, at the UN level, a collaboration of 180 governments, because everybody has understood that the overall setting is what we're negotiating, but the deployment and the how you actually execute on it. And we're not calling it smart cities anymore, because that's the technology outcome piece. We're tending to call it, well, various things, but I think of it as sustainable communities. You're really right about the, the hyper-local element of this. The last 12 months has taught us how much that needs to be configured to meet the local need. And, and you know, even within regions in, in say, uh, you know, in the counties, say, in Ireland and, the, and in what might be going on 
um, saying uh, Slovakia, one of the things the evidence I presented at the G20 was we have a lot of evidence around the mega cities, the one million plus. There aren't many of those. In Europe, 85 of the cities are actually what we call small giants. Some of those populations are 2,000 people. And what we've done with this movement is actually just focused on the big and the, the huge urban sprawls. But most of the change you can make and most of the impact you can create and better outcomes actually take place in small giants because you can scale those up. You can't scale a, a mega city of a million down to a population of you know, something like Singapore, which is essentially one huge city. It's only 250,000 people the size of Peterborough in the UK. So you, you, have to, you have to do it in context. So this small giant initiative, which is what the change has been, is to actually say, how do we do that? And then the exemplars of 100 climate neutral cities, because that's an outcome that affects everybody's um, well-being and health. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, OK. And so like you say, actually, that it's more nuanced, that it's particularly in Europe, we have a lot of uh, population hubs that are not as big as the mega cities, mm -hmm. but still have a massive cumulative impact. So. Yeah. Um, in the in the context that you're seeing things roll out faster, what what trends are you excited about that we could maybe now achieve coming down the line? Like, are, are you optimistic or uh, negative about this? And 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 what things uh, are you particularly uh, focused on, or do you see happening? Well, I mean, I'm excited about the possibility of being able to collaborate our way forward instead of compete our ways forward, because quite frankly, a lot of the change that technology is as as underpinned has been a competitive one, you know, league tables of cities and things like that. Whereas actually this technology can be configured and utilized in different ways to support different things. So I'm excited about the fact that we might um, we might move away from the idea of urban sprawls and move towards populations and population needs. My, the societal approach of the web science that we've pioneered is around that because we believe that's the real gain that this, the, um, the industrial internet of things has. It actually allows us to solve problems at a massive scale in a way that is for the benefit of all. And But I'm not in any way underestimating the amount of effort that's going to be involved and so I think the the key thing that I'm most excited about is as we move from the landscape of what I articulated I suppose in January 2019 at Davos which is the sharing economy lots of our businesses have been based on the business models around the idea you know you can you can have a huge hotel business and not having hotels that sharing economy is not the way forward with this pandemic because that was around um, how we use tech to actually create new outcomes and less friction and an efficiency drive, really. What we're talking about now, which I call the empathy economy, and that's where the Sangeeta pieces, I support many entrepreneurs who are articulating what that means for them. The empathy economy is something that's not based on shareholder value, but actually our own values. So what we would want to negotiate forward, and none of these things are going in a, in a single step, so there's a like a maturity curve you go through for all of this. But essentially, it's about how for us as a company, how we've demonstrated that we can unlock the talents for Gen Z and Gen Alpha to bring their solutions to the world. And they think about things in a completely different way and not in the way that, that we've we've seen technology change happen before. So I'm hugely excited about the sort of future skills that, that our young people can have 
how we as all as companies have new business models that are actually based on the changes we want to see in the world and not just accumulating profits. So it's a much more holistic approach to the way we do business. And, and I was training this uh, with the leaders in Google UK last week. And I'm finding with the Fortune 100 who I've been speaking to over, well, really since Christmas, they're hugely excited about changing the, the ethos and the ethics around the way we do business and having new business models. I suppose out of everything, that's the thing I'm most excited about. Mm -hmm. and, and, and yet, equally, it's such a, uh, a tran potentially transformational thing that with B Corps, Patagonia and Unilever and others that either are or are aiming to be, if 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 you apply that rationale to your whole business, then you can't have one area that's uh, a dirty polluter because it doesn't fit into the whole concept. Uh, with with the empathy economy, um, is that something that you see both at a corporation level and also in terms of? people demanding what they want from what they buy and also from where they work. Do you see that as, I guess, across the board then? It is. And I think the thing about it is, uh, uh, you know, you don't you don't walk into Saudi Arabia, get your G20 plan laid on the table and you all go, that's a really good idea, Jackie. What you do is you say 40% of the economic spend, I mean, it's 60% of GDP sits in the G20, 40% of the economic spend is already driven by these other drivers, by us, because Gen Z are already influencing that across the world because their values and the way in which they do business and the way in which that they share the work they're prepared to do. I mean, if I'm sat down with the Fortune 100 company board, what I'll say to them is, uh, if you're worried about your millennial pipeline of talent, you should be very, very worried because largely millennials are saying, well, I need to align my values with a company I work with. Gen Z won't have that conversation. They just won't be part of those organizations. And so there's a realization that actually the young people of this world are, are doing business on a completely different basis. And so I think that that was a surprise to me to see how many of the Fortune 100 knew that. I mean, they've obviously been looking at their ledgers and they've been seeing the downward trend in their operating profits and wondering why. Like, I usually give them the evidence as to why that is. But ultimately, it's got to be symbiotic. What we want as citizens, what we want as, as employers or as entrepreneurs or employees and what businesses are there to deliver. You know, at the end of the day, it's got to be a symbiotic relationship there. It may not have been before now. You know, the 1970s is famous for delivering that shareholder value movement. But we set up Flying Binary in 2009 because we knew that was over. And we just had to build the tech to say, well, how do you actually enable that? And we've now we've now demonstrated that over half of the world's populations benefited for the way that we we do the tech that we do and, and the, the deliveries we've made. And so I'm under, in no doubt whatsoever about that symbiotic relationship. We will have a say as employees and, and, and as employers and, and, and as citizens. Equally, companies need to be part of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, and I think, like you say, uh, it, it's been the case that um, uh, in some ways it's already possible, the technology already exists. It's almost about showcasing that it works. We don't need to invent new things to achieve these things. We just need to use the right technology that's, that we have developed already. So it, well, it does mean that... Go on. Well, it, it, yes and no. I think it doesn't work in the connected way that I'm talking about. I think the other thing about it is we have... Um, as technologists, how long have we been talking? I mean, in my case, probably about 20 odd years about how culture of an organization limits or en enables you to do what you do. 
we're moving away from that community culture that we've had as part of the sharing economy and we're moving on from that and effectively the culture organizations being navigating the the culture conversation being navigated in a completely different way by gen z and, and and you know my early gen alpha entrepreneurs who are sort of 17 and under and and that is permeating across the world i mean i raised a gen z so i know it for real inside my own house and any of you out there who are raising gen alpha and a parent, you know that negotiating with them is not like negotiating with anybody else. They just don't see a different world. They've been brought up to, to believe in that. And so actually how they navigate this world is not the way that you know any of the rest of us do. And I think that's a different conversation. And that's why I say this is a societal impact, what we're doing now with technology. Yeah, and like you say, you you, you can't uh, f fight fight the previous battles going forwards. It's it's a different paradigm, and it has to be done differently. Um, in terms of you, I'm wondering where do you get your inspiration and information from, and how do you uh, navigate to ensure that you're not just in your own filter bubble? Well, um, so when I co-founded, I was invited to be part of the 20th anniversary of the World Wide Web by. So Tim Berners-Lee in the Royal Society I didn't realise that meant get your work boots on, Jackie, I need you to do some work, but it did. So I became a web scientist that day. And essentially what it was about for me was understanding what needed to be done. So co-founding the data journalism industry was part of that. You know our work in Panama Papers, Paradise Papers, the opiate scandal, some very good stuff that's going on now. But there are 34 million people across the world that, that answer our questions, that dialogue with us because we had to turn what we do as a company completely round on the 13th of November 2015, when I was actually making my first speech in Europe and Paris was being attacked. So, so we, as part of our counter-terrorism uh, work that we do, we understand you know, the wicked questions. How do you know about the unknown unknowns? What do you do about them? So that cohort of people that help us pioneer the web science that is underpinned by what I talk about, and then other than that, um, we have technology that can literally reach out to anybody that's connected anywhere in the world. So if you want to counter the G20 plan, get two million uh, young people between the ages of 38 to 18 to tell them why it's wrong. I don't tell them. I ask. And when I went to Davos, I took four million voices that had never been heard by the 3000 world leaders and said, this is what they expect of you and you're not delivering. And so actually technology that we've created allows us to have those wider, more holistic conversations. And because the cohorts work differently across the world online, it's actually got the, the culture embedded. So conversation I might have in Kenya would be different to one I have in Indonesia. I only picked those two, two countries because they just popped in my head. There's nothing behind that statement, but, but you have to be sensitive to the way in which there are core values around what's going on in this transition to the industrial internet things, but there are culture settings as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you say Kenya and Indonesia, I hear Barack Obama. So <laughs> you, you, you always... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just it was just the two countries that popped in my head. I've been having conversations with them recently. So possibly that's why I could have equally said mm -hmm. Philippines. <laughs> um, well, when we were researching you uh, and we wanted to have you on because of what you do and what you're interesting, uh, we didn't really know that you also had an Irish angle, too. So um, <laughs> your family's originally from Cork. So I guess. Uh, how, how, what, what's your perspective of 
Ireland and these kind of challenges? Do you think we're 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 behind where we need to be? Uh, I guess we, what's your take on that? The Irish aspect. Well, I mean, I I'm I'm an O'Brien, so I'm I'm part of the family in that respect. I think one thing about us as a as a culture, and I still count myself as that wherever I happen to be in the world, which could be anywhere these days. Um, but what I count on that is Ireland itself has always had um, a, a, the ability to adapt. It's you know we've never had a situation that's been trouble free because that's not our gig. But actually, nothing ever daunts us. And I think that that's my my Irish ancestry that means that, you know, when I was uh, I finished my degree, um, went back to the aerospace company that that um, had sponsored me to take up that new aircraft into production to find that the first clients were from Saudi Arabia and a woman wasn't going to be in charge. And that ended my aerospace career. No, it didn't. I just moved on because I think we're very adaptable. So I would say that there are some issues around, you know, the way in which the sharing economy has helped build the Irish economy, but that's not going to hold Ireland back, not at all. And I think the other thing about it is um, we, you know, in the UK, generally we've we've um, embraced a wider world, you know, not just G20, not just UN, but we have the presidency of the G7 at the moment, and we envisage those those stronger ties and trades, which are very strong between the UK and Ireland anyway. And, and from that point of view, I think these two islands will do really, really well. But there's been some, there's going to be some configuration changes to be done for that. You know, the sharing economy that is the foundation of what's in Ireland does need to adapt. That means not just new, new commercial models. That's the misunderstanding of this change, in my view. It means new business models. And it's likely going to mean doing the Fortune 100 type conversations is going to be multiple business models. And that's one of the bigger challenges for the large organizations. But for the SMEs, that's what we all do. So I think that it's going to be mixed. But equally, you know, this this train is already moving. And I don't see there being any problem from an island point of view, because adaptability, I think, is the almost part of the DNA of the, of the island, really. Yeah, look, I think I, th I think so. I'm what one hand whatever Ireland was it's a very young population and mm -hmm. and people have both the culture of having having gone to other places and and coming back as well I mean and so so I, I've I've only been here 25 years but in those in that time you know it, it it's gone from one of the worst in recycling to one of the best and similarly uh one of the earliest adopters of gay marriage and so to me I think that shows that Ireland can be certain things, but Ireland can also change pretty quickly too. So I think that's quite a powerful uh, talent to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the collaboration fabric that I talked about earlier on in this podcast is definitely there. Uh, and, and the younger population, uh, the idea of just, you know, solve and go is just not a not hassle. Comfortable with technology, prepared to embrace its change. And actually, you know, one of the things that I would say um, with um, the entrepreneurs, I, I, I work with, well, I've this message since I left the G20 in February 2020, 100 million entrepreneurs in 170 countries have gone, do you know what, Jackie, we're in. That doesn't, I mean, I haven't specifically done any connections in Ireland, but I, it wouldn't surprise me to get that same message from an, from an Irish point of view. Because they just seeing the opportunity, and it's a huge opportunity of being able to negotiate this societal change. And technology will be that fabric that enables us to do that. And of course, you have a workforce in Ireland that, that is comfortable with that. So why wouldn't the talent pipeline be there as well? Of course it will. Yep, yep. 
it's all good. Um, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. How can people learn more about what you do and your work? Um, so uh, lots of it is not in the public domain. Uh, so you've had a little bit of an insight into what's a little, what the G20, the EU and the UN is all about. LinkedIn's a good place to get me because um, when, we, when we move off that platform onto the next one, then you can come with us. Um, but the, so that's a good one. But I mean, anywhere on Twitter, connect with me anywhere. I can share my work. I do have some places online, but if you connect with me um, on LinkedIn or on Facebook, I can let you into the sort of um, more safe spaces and you can we can talk directly about what it is you're looking to do and I can support that work. Right. And I think the other thing is um, there are uh, on occasion I'm able to send out sort of briefings like today I've just done one on the um, on the grant funding that's been made available to make uh, to give entrepreneurs in the UK um, better import export experiences as we're navigating our new markets um, so for example I do those sorts of announcements so I'll make sure I give you some links Simon where you can socialize that so people can catch up on those updates that I do do online Awesome. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast, Jackie. It's been a pleasure, Simon, and, and great to, to be able to talk to you and, and uh, looking forward to seeing what Ireland does next, of course. And now, a word from our sponsor, Agora Pulse. We know how hard it is to juggle all the things in your business. Accounts, meetings, the never-ending inbox. That's why we've teamed up with Agora Pulse to give you more than five hours back a week when it comes to managing your social media marketing. No complicated Excel docs, long emails, or millions of open tabs. Simply manage all your social media channels in one place. Go to www.agorapulse.com forward slash Irish Tech News to get one month free. Now all you have to do is figure out how you want to spend those spare five hours. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.